Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. Today is October 25th. We are live in the radio station here at St. Mary's Catholic Center. Not quite a Hail Mary blue sky, but we can see it peeking through there. I want to welcome you uh, to Red Sea Roundup. Today my guest is Father Brian Eilers, pastor of St. Joseph's Catholic Church here in Bryan. We want to welcome all of our listeners from the Bryan College Station area listening on KEDC 88.5 FM, KYAR 98.3 over in Waco, Central Texas, and our listeners in Palestine, KINF 107.9. Welcome to everybody and welcome to you, Father Brian. How are you today? Doing great, Judy. (laughs) I appreciated our text of where do I park and I'm going to be coming in I said on two wheels. I came in on two wheels as well. But uh, thank you for being here and taking the time to be here and share a um, wonderful conversation about our purgatory, holy souls, liturgical calendar, and such. Great. Looking forward to it, Judy. Good, good, good. This is a um, really favorite time of the year for me. Um, I love the... Holy souls, I love interceding and praying and have a couple of novenas I like to do. Some say it's a perpetual novena, but when I'm involved, it's just a Judy kind of perpetual novena. (laughs) (laughs) I just have to uh, do the best that I can, but uh, we really uh, welcome you. And I think that perhaps as a lot of the subjects are, the announcement from the pulpit or two-minute line in a homily, people shake their head, but do we really understand, especially purgatory and things like that? So maybe we can start off with some basics. Uh, how the One question I have is how long the liturgical year, going back, I think you said before we got started, something to the 1200s, but the All Souls Day, All Saints Day celebration. Great. I, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> you stumped me there. I would have to. You know, now you know what a, it's a, like to be life, around me. Uh, all a lifeline on exactly how long we've been celebrating All Souls Day, <laughs> All Saints Day. I think I think All Saints uh, goes back to the early church uh, because you had um, feast days were celebrated, but then somewhere along the line uh, there was a, a celebration of the of just all of the saints who were martyrs and who have died. So recognizing that <laughs> there's a lot of people that were martyrs that we don't know who they are specifically. And so we're going to have a, a feast day for all of the saints uh, who are martyrs and who are the faithful of God and who are already with God. So um, I don't know the exact date. Yeah. Kind of like the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Well, it's not that. <laughs> we, we do know we have evidence uh, from the early church. Uh, I just can't, I don't have it written down or can't cite that specifically oh, right now. That's great. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the idea is... Uh, we in all all saints day specifically is that uh, we want to remember all of those people who are, lived holy lives but we history has forgotten them their their stories for whatever reason weren't captivating or known uh, and so uh, we can only pass down a, a certain number of stories uh, and so we pass down the ones that are most memorable or most uh, efficacious for us uh, to encourage us in the, in our faith uh, but uh, there's lots of saints that are uh, interceding for us on our behalf that as we go through the battle of life, that as a church militant, that we will uh, 
we will do well in our battle over uh, evil and that we will be ready to join them uh, whenever our time comes. So, yes, it is a it's a time in which we do reflect on the last things on heaven and hell and purgatory. And we do that because it's the end of the liturgical year. So we have uh, the Feast of uh, Christ the King, celebrating that Jesus is the triumphant King over all time and space. Uh, and we do that with Christ the King at the end of the liturgical year. And then the next Sunday is the beginning of the next one with uh, First Sunday of Advent. Great. As I was saying, sometimes that it just comes along click, click, click before I'm really ready. So I'm Happy to say I'm a little prepared for Advent already today uh, as we approach that time. Um, Two things. You said the word efficacious, so I want to dig into that definition just a little bit in case it's fallen on ears that have never heard that word. I do know the definition because Patrick Madrid said it on the way in today. (laughs) (laughs) And also you mentioned the church militant, so perhaps we could talk just a few minutes about the universal church and how purgatory plays into that as well. Great. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so we certainly understand that the, there's uh, us who are the church who are uh, fighting the the battle uh, as we go through this earth, like through our, our journey of life. And then, of course, there is the, the, the church who is su- suffering in purgatory and the church triumphant, those who have already passed their test and are with God. So, uh, and the, the church... Uh, militant is is us the church suffering so those who have died and i was just looking up a little bit uh from like when is uh, the official pronouncements in the church about purgatory and so we have a the one of the councils in the 1200s in which they uh defined purgatory a little bit and so I would I was going to quote that for our listeners. Great. So this is the Second Council of Lyon in twelve seventy four. Um, it was the idea that two, two main things that some saved souls need to be purified after death. So some people who are living in a state of grace and they die in that state of grace, uh, they still have some purification that needs to happen, and then the these souls benefit from the prayers and the pious duties of the living that they do for them. So I'll just read this, what the council said. If, if they die truly repentant in charity before they have made satisfaction by worthy fruits of penance for sins committed and omitted, their souls are cleansed after death by purgatorial or purifying punishments. So uh, just to break that down a little bit, uh, we recognize that in heaven there will only be love. This is something that's really important, and I think that uh, for us as Catholics, this is something we can actually have a hope for because <laughs> when we die, I mean, I don't know about you, but like I'm, I'm attached to things uh, on this earth, and I have uh, grievances uh, sometimes uh, against other people that I don't have perfect charity for them. And if I lived in eternity in that same state, that would not be heaven for me. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I don't want to live like this. I want to be perfectly made perfect in God's love. And I want to love God perfectly and love you perfectly and every other person perfectly. I almost love you perfectly, almost. but not, but not. Well, <laughs> so I have that effect on people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right. You're, you're, your husband's cross <laughs> and that's going to help him get to heaven. <laughs> but, uh, but, so purgatory is actually a, a great gift. Like, if you don't believe in purgatory and you don't, 
you believe that you're just going to be the way you are when you die and that that ability to love others and to love God when you die that's not to me that's not the definition of heaven that's not definite that isn't the definition of heaven heaven is a place where we love god and where we love others perfectly so something has to happen from when the, the time we die and the time that we're living in that state where we're perfectly in love with god and um with for others and it's not only just us loving god it's also receptive to his love like i'm not always receptive to god's love especially when there's something that like oh god i have a better plan mm -hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> not that i would ever say that but yes oh, no. that, that, there's that temptation right like uh i got this i'm not like i'm not sure this is gonna work out so well i think maybe we could do it this way so uh, that receptivity to God and his love and saying yes to him fully and completely, that's that's heaven. And uh, so our purification then means that uh, I'm going to be able to, in purgatory, come go through this process of being purified so that I am able to receive that love of God perfectly and give myself to him and therefore love every other person uh, that is uh, in heaven and on earth uh, so as far as that goes love them with that same uh, love of god that he gives me yeah. interesting i was with a group uh, camping this past weekend of relatives that we share a history and a tradition of uh growing up together and our grandmas were sisters and things like that so one of my cousins says i, I have a question when we get to heaven or we're not going to know anybody and How's that going to work? You're going to know someone's your wife or your mother. So the real reason I'm asking is because I sure would like to have a slice of my mother's Italian cream cake. So can I, can I, <laughs> will I be able to experience that one more time when I get to heaven? And I, I said, I don't think so, but you won't want it. <laughs> but you just had a much better explanation of it. So I guess you'll lose that desire for Italian cream cake while you're in purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> that's right uh you'll be so uh overwhelmed mm -hmm. with god's perfect love that yes italian cream cake will will seem like uh i don't know dust dirt yeah exactly uh as compared to <clears throat> the thing that you are receiving and living in yes um and you mentioned when we get to heaven there's pure love so i i've heard uh uh, analogies where we have faith, hope, and love while we're here as a part of the church militant. And when we become a part of the church suffering, faith is not necessary anymore. We only have hope and love. No, I'm sorry. Hope goes away because if you're in purgatory, you will go to heaven eventually, I suppose. And I'm really paraphrasing the thoughts that so you don't need faith or hope when you're in heaven. You only have love. That makes sense. Well, so yes, because your hope has been realized mm -hmm. when you're in heaven, because you are with God. The thing that we hope for now, that that yes, that would be have been realized. Therefore, um, and we are with God. Yes, wonderful. So the teach, you know, uh, a lot of times you hear somebody say, "Well, there's nothing in the word purgatory is not in the Bible." So how can that be? How does it exist? Much if you're talking to non-believers or Protestants, that I mean, the word Trinity is not in the Bible either. So, um, 
and during the Protestant Reformation and how the Bible changed, and some of those reasons were due to belief and teachings on purgatory, right? Yeah, so you're getting into a couple of things about Scripture and the canon of Scripture. Um, so in the Old Testament, there were two uh, versions of the Old Testament, one that included some of the later books that were um, well, they're either, either later or written in Greek or in part in Greek or all in Greek. And so uh, some people accepted those as part of the canon and others did not. So you're, the, the reason that's significant is because of Maccabees, and Maccabees has a, a quote that in which the, the soldiers, uh, they come across some of their soldiers died in battle. And this is uh, from 2 Maccabees 12, uh, towards the end of that chapter. And uh, there it, it just talks about how uh, those that had died, they found that they had amulets that were of false gods. And so uh, they understood that then that they had uh, been carrying around a false hope. And so then they uh, took up a collection. As it says, uh, he took up a collection, man to man, the amount of 2,000 drachmas of silver and sent it to Jerusalem to provide for a sin offering. In doing so, he acted very well and honorably taking a account of the resurrection. For if he were not expecting that those who had fallen would rise again, it would have been superfluous and foolish to pray for the dead. But if he was looking to the splendid reward that is laid up for those who fall asleep in godliness, it was a holy and pious thought. And therefore, he made atonement for the dead that they might be delivered from their sin. So that's in Maccabees. And very clearly, there's an offering, a prayer that is a sacrifice that is made uh, for those who have died. Well, if we don't believe in purgatory and we believe that those who are caught up uh, in sin, that they're in hell, um, then, well, there's no reason to pray for them. And if they're already in heaven when they die, there's no reason to pray for them or to make an offering in the temple for them. So clearly, there's a, an understanding of a mid-place. Uh, thus, somebody that's on their way to heaven, but they need our prayers. So there's a lot tied up in that that verse, and that's why Martin Luther in particular did not like it, uh, because it, <laughs> it purgatory is uh, implied and so the purgatory, yes, it is not there in the Bible. And as you note that there's other things that we believe as Christians that are not in the Bible. The Bible isn't a, a complete listing of all of the truths that we believe. It is uh, a, in different types of literature in there. There's poetry, there's stories, uh, there is some teaching, uh, but it's not to meant to be a catechism or an encyclopedia of all of the teachings of Jesus. Uh, and there's a lot there that um, or things that are not there that uh, are clearly part of the faith. So, yeah, so that's when you get into the scriptures and why the canon of scripture is significant in that teaching, because this is the clearest place in the uh, scriptures, which indicate that there should be there is a thing as such as purgatory. Right. So which is why Maccabees is in the Catholic version of the Bible and the reasoning behind the removal of some of the seven books. 
Yeah, it's so the, well, Martin Luther just basically mm-hmm. said, well, uh, I don't like that. And I found a convenient <laughs> way to, to not include them in the the Bible that I'm going to um, encourage people to read. And remember, like this, it's also a significant period in history. So the, the printing press is mid 1400s right. and Martin Luther's early 1500s. So he's, you know, they're printing Bibles now. And before that, the only people that had a Bible was the, the most educated, most likely in monasteries or churches where they had uh, a parts of the the scripture readings, but they didn't have an entire Bible. That was very rare until the printing press. Uh, that would was very, very expensive. Mm-hmm. Only the wealthiest people could have those or monasteries where they actually copied them, the, the manuscripts. So the printing press changed a lot of things and that actually made the po- made possible the Protestant Reformation. And therefore, <laughs> Martin Luther's decision to not include some books that he didn't like. I see. Um, you mentioned... Um as part of the church militant to pray for the souls that are in purgatory. So let's talk a little bit about how we do that um, and how the church helps us pray for them, sometimes almost obscurely, in in my opinion, because at every Mass, there's a couple of times throughout the Mass where we pray for those who've gone before us. It's included, but you can have Masses offered and pray the rosary and other devotions that can help our friends that are in purgatory. Yes. The, the church uh, encourages uh, us to pray for our family members who are awaiting their eternal reward, who are still suffering. So in mass during the Eucharistic prayer, there's always a prayer for the dead uh, sometimes in the petitions, most often, usually, and then uh, mass can be offered for someone who is has died. Uh, so those would be the primary things that we would do, uh, or times we would pray for those who have died. And then during this month of All Souls, uh, All Souls Day, the day after All Saints Day, so November 2nd, we have a tradition of actually visiting cemeteries and praying for those who have died, praying for loved ones. And priests even are encouraged to celebrate three masses that day, uh, praying for the dead. Specifically, there's specific intentions for each of those masses that the priest is to pray, encouraged to pray. So, yeah, there's a lot that we do for those who have died to pray for them. I think it's also important to think through, well, like, well, what does prayer for those who have died do? Like, why, why pray for them? Well. So one one way that I uh, think about this, and so these offerings that we make, uh, these sacrifices and prayers, it's not so much that we are doing something that uh, on our own. It is that uh, we are the body of Christ, and one of the the things that is part of the reality of heaven as the body of Christ is that we are united together as brothers and sisters. Well, when we choose love in the place of sin, then that that bond between us is being built up through the grace that God has given to us yes. in his son Jesus. So we're cooperating with his grace, uh, those uh, things that have been weakened by sin, that is the bond between us and the bond between uh, among us and then with God, those are strengthened and overcome. So our, our sacrifice is a spiritual communion it's a sacrifice of love that is joined to Jesus and made effective for the overcoming of the reality of sin and its effects in those who are awaiting heaven. 
Oh, gosh. That, that is a very beautiful and consoling description for us also. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the rosary and the um, effects for the souls when you offer a rosary? Why, why do we pray the rosary at uh, the viewing the day before a funeral and uh, some of those teachings as well? Sure. Well, so <laughs> the the rosary uh, is uh, obviously an, a wonderful devotion. It's existed for about half the time that the the church uh, has existed. Um, so it came about in the um, just after the turn of the millennium, the twelve hundreds. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rosary, I mean, it's in some ways it's kind of like. Um, uh, and uh, uh, entering into the the central mysteries of our faith uh, intensely. So uh, you think about it, like if you just read scripture, you may or may not be meditating on the central mysteries of our faith. But if we pray the rosary and we pray it every day, then we're every day entering into one set of the the mysteries of our faith, whether it be the joyful mysteries. So the reality of the incarnation, the things that led up to that and its effects of Jesus being with them, um, being dedicated in the temple and Mary and Joseph finding him in the temple. So mm-hmm. it's that central mystery of the incarnation that is being, we're, we're entering into. Well, that's a really important. I mean, <laughs> you can read scripture, you can read St. Paul lots, and he's got lots of wise things to say, some amazing yeah, in, insights. If you could make it through his bad punctuation. <laughs> That's right. He wrote in Greek get and he had semico- run on sentences. Get a semicolon, um, please. Or a period. Just break it up, man. Um, but uh, <laughs> so he was, those were most likely written by people that were taking his dictation, those letters. So uh, anyway. Hence the long sentences. Uh, but the rosary is those meditations on those central mysteries. So when we're uh, medit- praying the rosary, Mary is our mother who is uh, her desire for us is that we are united to her son, Jesus. Uh, like a good mother, she wants us to know her son. And so the rosary is her prayer uh, for us. And then it's also our focus on those particular mysteries. And that's really, I mean... Being able to do that with the rosary, this very simple meditative prayer, um, that is something that, again, it's it's not our work so much as it's our being united to Jesus. So when we pray the rosary, we're united to Jesus in that in those mysteries, and that's the thing that overflows for the perfection of the person who is um, needing perfection so that they can enter into the perfect love of God in heaven. Mm-hmm. So... Um Having masses said for our uh, loved ones or praying the rosary are is meritorious. It, they merit the benefit of our prayers. Yes, you're you're getting into a very technical word, but uh, <laughs> merit <laughs> meritorious. Uh, well, I'm I'm in my mind. I'm kind of trying to have a conversation that might happen with explaining why do you pray for the souls in purgatory and. A lot of the teachings or the things that I've come to learn about is not written in a book. Um, So it's through revelation and tradition of the church. Um, When souls go to heaven, what goes on in purgatory? Our Blessed Mother visits and consoles the souls in purgatory. 
Yeah. So, <laughs> well, uh, merit, I think that's an important word. Uh, so, uh, we believe that uh, when we pray for someone and we're cooperating with God's will for us, that that cooperation merits good things. Uh, so it's it's not um, on it's not that we have done something good enough in ourselves by ourselves. We recognize that it's it's our yes to God and what He is doing through us. Uh, so that that's where merit comes in. Uh, so um, in order to believe that, you would actually have to believe that we are good and capable of cooperating with God and doing good things. Um, if you do not believe that, if you believe that we are completely cor- corrupt and depraved of every good thing, and that we are only saved uh, through, uh, <laughs> you know where I'm going, <laughs> you're for only saved by faith, faith alone, and not faith and works, then it's, well, as James says, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the devil knows, the devil believes, uh, but that doesn't mean that he follows. God. So uh, it's our 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 uh, yes to God uh, that this is, is come, coming up there. So anyway, so we'd, merit is an important part of this whole thing of praying for the dead. I think Luther says that we are dung hills, right? <laughs> and we are covered by uh, the snow that is Christ um, for uh, his, his saving grace. Um, whereas I think the Catholic Church would say... Um, we don't want to be dung hills. God will tra- wants to transform us from dung heaps to something more. Yeah, so there's this idea, and actually, like I've done a little bit of research on that, and this exactly where Martin Luther wrote that this idea, it was uh, finding that quote is a little difficult. Um, so uh, there's references to it, but the, his actual writing of it, uh, I wasn't able to find that. But the, the idea is still there in his writings and his assumptions and that uh, we are completely corrupt, depraved, like uh, a heap of dung. And then uh, that doesn't change according to Martin Luther. It's just that, that with Jesus and his love for us, we are covered. And therefore, when God looks at us, he sees this um, this leaf, uh, this hump of snow. Uh, but we, and therefore, he loves us because we have been made pure uh, with this, uh, with Jesus with the blood of Jesus that has made us white uh, and pure. But for us as Catholics is we're like, no, we, we cease to be that corrupted uh, being that uh, we cease to be a dung heap. Uh, instead, all that we are is ordered towards God. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they were naked and without shame. They actually had a perfect love for each other and for God. They walked with God in the garden. So that's what God wants for us is that we're restored to that. And even more so that um, it's it's elevated because we're sharing in the the grace and the life of Jesus Christ. We're actually shares in God's, God's own life, shares in divinity. We're divinized. So... Uh, that that is uh, a divinization is a, a teaching that we see, especially the, that word divinization in the Eastern Church, long before Martin Luther. Uh, and so you had the whole Eastern Church believing that, <laughs> and then Martin Luther comes along, and he's having a you know he's in Germany, he uh, sees some things that he doesn't like in the church, and uh, and he just throws out the baby with the bathwater bath per se, proverbial thing, and uh, he misses this uh, long held teaching of the church, which is so important that we are actually able to be made pure by God in his love for us. And this is like that we are able to be transformed. 
I, I was talking with a guy in marriage preparation and he had, uh, he wanted to get married to this Catholic girl. And so he was wanted to learn a little bit more about what the church teaches about marriage. And he had uh, grown up as a Mormon and I just talked to him, we were talking and I, he, I said like, look, yeah, you, you, we have to show that your previous marriage was not valid because you promised to love her no matter what. And he was like, well, I just don't, I don't think marriage is like that. I don't think you can really love somebody perfectly. I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, <laughs> um, tell me more about that. And he's like, I, I don't, I just don't think that you can really give yourself to someone in love perfectly. Like you can agree that you're going to like be with each other and try to be faithful, but you're not going to really be able to love the person like God loves them. And I was like, well, okay, yeah, there, there is a reality of sin, but the church says, and Jesus invites you into this. Like St. Paul says in Ephesians 5, like husbands lay your lives down, down like Christ uh, laid down his life for his bride, the church. So we are to love like Jesus loves. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Uh, so um, that we actually have the ability to love like God loves because of God's grace. And therefore we can merit and we can merit things for those who have died and gone before us. This is a, it, it's a beautiful and profound dignifying teaching uh, because it, it tells us that we are uh, to become like God. And it's God's gift. It's all, all is grace, all is a gift. But if, if we don't believe in merit, then we would just, yeah, we can't pray for anybody that's died for, uh, before us and gone. And, uh, either they went to heaven or hell, that's all between them and God. They're no longer even part of the family. It's like when somebody dies in a Protestant worldview, uh, you just take their, their picture down from the mantle and you throw it away because they're no longer part of the family. Hmm. I mean, effectively, mm -hmm. but we say, no, they're still part of the family and they need our prayers because there are our elder brothers and sisters who are being purified and uh, there's still our elder brothers and sisters who encourage us in our faith. So we keep their pictures on the mantle per se uh, so that they are the saints who encourage us and who pray for us. They're still part of the family. Um, we have not just gotten rid of them because, well, they're dead. Right. Well, it makes me think, uh, no, we can't love perfectly on our own ability. That's We can't make a perfect act of contrition without the love behind it. That We can't uh, have masses said. So we're encouraged to improve our own receptivity of grace therefore to perform acts of mercy we're encouraged to go to uh sometimes uh we said we weren't going to say the word indulgences but i can't resist to say it in order to you receive an indulgence when you pray the uh, stations of the cross if you and then there's things attached to that which make us better people Better to pray the go to reconciliation, receive the Eucharist, pray for the Pope's intentions. Those acts in itself help us to be better able to perform those acts. Mm -hmm. So that Absolutely. the church is constantly helping us. Well, you can work off your own purgatory while you're here on earth if, <laughs> if you work at it. Well, yeah, cool. Yeah, whenever you say work at it, or work I, at, there, there is there is a little bit of self reliance I in that. that. And uh, so, we <laughs> have be you been careful. talking to my spiritual director? <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that we were doing that this conversation today. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. So the uh, yeah the work is uh, an interesting word, but um, yes. So that uh, we, our indulgences are the church's responsibility because it whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you mm-hmm. earth, uh, loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. So the church has this ability to bind and loose, and so it attaches certain uh, movements or graces of God and God's work in us, uh, two specific acts. So like, um, yeah, as you said, um, well, praying the rosary, there's the reading of scripture for, I think it's 30 minutes. Uh, but these, these good things that the church encourages us to do and, and attaches an, a, an indulgence to them, uh, to, so that we'll be like, okay, I know that this is a, a good thing. And mm-hmm. the church has said it's meritorious. It will, it will, uh, draw me closer to God. It can gain uh, a plenary indulgence or a partial indulgence, uh, which means a remission of temporal punishment due to sin, which that's a mouthful in itself. And that's mm-hmm. why I really didn't want to go there. I but. understand. <laughs> but. Maybe you can hear my confession when we're done. <laughs> but again, and it's also, it does make sense for us to think about, you can't just auctioneer through the rosary without any... Yeah, Hail Mary, okay, I did that, now I did this, now I did that. It's not a checkbox ability. It's the faith behind the prayers. It's yeah, the as a good friend of mine, Father Brian McMaster, says is, uh, we will treat God uh, like a Coke machine. You put in uh, your, you know, whatever, two quarters or a dollar, and you get your, your thing out. Well, th- that that we can treat prayers in the rosary mm-hmm. like that. Like, hey, I you know I knocked out a rosary today. Well, you know, so good for me. I, I earned some grace. Well, no, <laughs> that's not it. <laughs> God is a person. Uh, he is not the you know the whatever you call it, the person who's doling out uh, cash like you uh, uh, give him some prayers at an ATM. <laughs> He's not the divine ATM. Um, so. He's a person that was seeking to draw us into communion with him through his son, Jesus. And so when we cooperate with him by saying these prayers, then, yes, we're drawn into communion with him and with our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. That's what God wants for us. Exactly. Um, Um, Father, we have about seven minutes before we're uh, finished with this. And uh, help our listeners, help me have the best November that I possibly could in serving the holy souls in purgatory help us to um maybe be proactive and ready to work on get the most out of the month of november as we encourage each other to pray these prayers the why visit a cemetery why they're not there anymore i've I've heard that so many times (laughs) that's right (laughs) It's yeah, you know, it's just a, a a body that is in a certain stage of decay is is what the cemetery is. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yes, and I is there there is that's true. Like I mean, uh, the what is there is their earthly remains. Uh, so why go there? Um, what well, I think. First of all, the church attaches an indulgence to it. Ah, you said it now. <laughs> so the church says that when we uh, visit a cemetery in the month of November, the month of all souls, that uh, that there is an indulgence attached to that. Uh, so we go there, we pray for those who have died, and we pray for the Pope, so that is the head of the church, uh, the vicar of Christ on earth, and um, we pray in our Father and Hail Mary, uh, 
usually, usually a creed is attached to that, so reaffirming our faith. Uh, so all of that is a good thing. So I would just encourage people to plan to make a visit to a cemetery. Um, and if you have loved ones in a couple of different cemeteries, or uh, here we have Mount Calvary Cemetery, which is a combined cemetery of uh, the various um, parishes. Um, those are, uh, it's all over in Bryan. Uh, but there's other cemeteries as well. So to to go to those cemeteries and pray for those who have di- died. I think there's just something very on a human level, like recognizing, okay, all of these people here, like what was their lives about? You know, they, they talk about, you know, life, you know, you have your birth date and your death date. Um, but what's the most important thing? The dash. <laughs> <laughs> it's what what happened yeah, in that dash? T- like, yes, and just, just being able to ponder that and look at these lives and these persons and, um, and pray for them that they are entering into, that they're enjoying the eternal rewards of heaven. So that that in itself is just a good reflection of what was their life about and what will my life be about. Yes. Oh, I totally adore going to Mount Calvary Cemetery for a lot of reasons. Uh, I have four sets of great-grandparents buried there. Both my grandparents are buried there. My parents, my brother, my extended family. A um, hundred years ago, my grandfather brought bought plots for each one of his children. So we're all buried together. I, depending on who dies first, I guess is what my dad told me. Who, who all gets to be buried there? It depends on who dies first. <laughs> but it's a, it is my family tree that's there. And visiting, it gives me great consolation to be there. I can see my my whole heritage mm. encompass there. Um, people, and then you remember those stories and remember that you're... The Italian cream cake. Well, they, there you go. But also that like you're part of a family, mm-hmm. that there are those uh, who have gone before you for generations and generations, and there are people who come and go after you, including your children and grandchildren. So I think there's also part of that that's a very helpful reality because in our world, it's very individualistic and like, what have you achieved today in this world? What, you know, all of those things. Well, I'm part of a family. I belong to a group of people that have lived out the faith. Uh, it's not just, you know, me against the world. I, I belong to the, a group of people that have lived the faith and, um, you know, some better than others, but I'm here to pray for them. And I hope that those who come after me will come here and pray for me. Uh, so there's there's something that's very good that brings us out of the individualism of this world and into the reality that we're part of the body of Christ. Uh, again, the, the church militant, the church suffering and the church triumphant. So that we're not alone. I think that that's very good to visit a cemetery just for those reasons on an, in addition to the indulgences. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I remember being there thinking by my grandparents, my father's parents and thinking, you know, I don't even, I don't even think she could read. Mm. I don't think, you know, they didn't know what a catechism was. And I think we over intellectualize our, um, what we need to know that'll help us get to heaven and things like that. But and I say she because she was more, my grandmother was more vocal uh, in teaching the faith to us as we were visiting there. I mean, mm-hmm. She loved to play cards. And if we got tired of playing canasta, then she would pull those rosary beads out of her. <laughs> okay, shuffle <laughs> up. We'll play one more hand. But she handed That's down awesome. a faith to her children yeah. and the times that we were there. So if you didn't have that little T tradition in your own families, then the capital T tradition really doesn't mean anything to you. 
Yeah. And so I think like remembering those stories, telling those stories, and then um, maybe even so, okay, bring the the kids or grandkids out there and gather together and let's pray the rosary mm-hmm. together. Um, and again, then entering into the mystery of the thing that unites us together more than anything else. And that is the love of Jesus for us, that he has made us part of God's family, uh, something that lasts for eternity. So um, and then we're connected not just this you know, to our blood family, but to this greater family, the church, the body of Christ. So, yeah, that's a, remembering the people who have gone before us and those those things that they've done to pass on the faith to. My, you're telling that story. My my grandmother would always um, we'd travel to Colorado in the summers uh, and they travel to different things, and she would ride with us, and uh, we would always pray the rosary when, when Grandma was traveling with us. And as you know, I can remember as a kid, I was a, a punk at times. And um, <laughs> if you can imagine that. It's uh, still lingering. Re- rebel. Uh, <laughs> and I didn't uh, always appreciate that. But now mm-hmm. looking back, I really appreciate it. By the way, here's here's my November joke, by the way. Do, okay. you, do you know um, the most popular place in the world? It's a cemetery. People are just dying, dying to, to get, get there. there. My, <laughs> when we would go there as a family, I have two brothers and two sisters, and we'd all get a little eerie and creepy and he would say you know why there's a fence <laughs> people are dying to get in there so uh, you could be italian father <laughs> so we we just have a few seconds would you uh be so kind as to give us your blessing as we end this segment sure um, the lord be with you and with your spirit lord god i ask your blessing upon these your sons and daughters that especially in this month of uh, November that's coming up, that you would uh, draw them closer to you, that you prepare them for heaven, and that you would uh, unite them uh, more closely to yourself, and especially as they pray for those who have gone before them. In the name God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father, for taking the time to be here. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Judy.